Hey everybody, welcome out to another fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I'm your co-host Mike Laidman, and I am joined with none other than... Laura Laidman. Each and every week we take a movie from our past and we have a look back and see if it's just nostalgia keeping our high praise of classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the adulation. How are you doing, hon? I'm doing well. I like Sundays. It's my day off. Uh, it's a good day. A rainy day, but a good day. And yourself, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. Look gassy. I guess that's a complaint. <laughs> well, it's all that primo pizza that we eat. Yeah. I that- like that that has become our... Eh, I kind of have a mad day. Pizza? All right, pizza. Well, the pizza is like the genesis of this podcast. It really know. is. Because we were doing pizza and movie nights. Yeah, because date nights don't really exist in this world. Yeah. I that mean, became our date night. Yeah. And instead of watching a, a nostalgic movie, because we'd already watched our nostalgic movie, we watched a lot of Castlevania. Yeah. Yeah, Castlevania is pretty good. It's a good show. We should have been watching it before. I mean, we watched the first two seasons before, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about no, tonight. No, we we are here to talk about whatever nostalgic movie we happen to be talking about this week, and this week we will be talking about Total Recall, which hit theaters back in 1990. Your mind, it is the center of your life. It is everything you hear. Everything you see, everything you feel, it is everything you are. How would you know if someone stole your mind? Arrest that woman! Quaid. Catch. Get ready for a surprise! We can't let him run around. He knows too much. Welcome to Mars. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. Look who's talking. They erased your identity and implanted a new one. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? I want Clay delivered alive for reimplantation. That's for making me come to Mars. You wouldn't hurt me. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. Let me set the stage for you, sir. It is... See, this one's tricky because it came out on June 1st. So the things happening in June don't really make as much sense as possibly the things happening in May. So why don't we visit a little bit of both? Okay. Sounds good. So at the time, the Dow Jones is on a record upswing. New York City's version of the Zodiac Killer has started his reign of terror. Who's Okay. I love that you always manage to bring in some like murder thing. I don't know who the New York version of the Zodiac Killer is. So there's another Zodiac Killer, not the really famous Zodiac Killer. There's another Zodiac Killer, and he actually based his victims on their Zodiac sign. And uh, the first person he actually killed, well, was shot the day before this movie came out, but he didn't die in hospital until later in June. But anyway, at this point, he'd shot three people. I had no idea. New York City had a different Zodiac killer? Yeah, no idea. Yeah, his name is Herberto Seda. So he's not as good as the original. Well, to be fair, the original, I don't... Well, I guess, yeah, he got caught. But anyway, did he kill as many people as the original Zodiac? I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, we're not a true (laughs) crime podcast yet. Yet? (laughs) What does that mean? Has this all been a trap to like... Yeah, let's talk about murder. Okay. Anyway, Um, on May 18th, East and West Germany sign a monetary union treaty. This is good news. Yeah. Well, also, East and West Germany is still kicking around at this point. I know. May 20th, sort of related to this, the Hubble Space Telescope sends its first photographs from space. Oh, fancy fun. Yeah. On June 4th, Dr. Jack Kvorkin assists an Oregon woman to commit suicide. Oh, my God. I remember that being huge news, the yeah. Jack Kvorkian stuff. Yeah. it was. I remember it being huge when I was a kid. I remember like Kvorkian being like, you know, a thing you'd say about like kids on the playground. Be like, I'm going to Kvorkian you. I remember 
you're what i'm not even kidding <laughs> those kids you went to school with were very cruel we were all playing pretend as different zodiac killers apparently no what is you with zodiac killers <laughs> there's only the two okay who, who got to be which were you like i want to be new york zodiac killer no i gotta be the og anyway <laughs> i remember kevorkian in like mad magazine yeah there was a uh, an issue I can't remember what the like the main focus was, but on the back cover they had trading cards that were like terrible people, and it was all like <laughs> Joey Buttafuoco and stuff. And one of them was Jack Kevorkian. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, also, June twelfth, Mariah Carey's debut album, self-titled Mariah Carey, makes its debut. What was it called? Mariah Carey. I know. I'm just being a shit. And to continue with the tradition. On June 28th, Susan Lucci loses the Daytime Emmy Award for the 11th time. I don't know how we keep hitting it. It's like they do one every month, every year, because it doesn't matter when a movie comes out. We somehow manage to get a Susan Lucci losing the Daytime Emmy. And I'm pretty happy about that it's continuing. I feel like we should like make like a sound effect or something. That's like da, 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 Susan just, Lucci lost. No, it's just like the price is right. Da, 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 da. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, or Susan Lucci. <laughs> that is May June of 1990. I was a whole five years old. Yeah, I was six, and I definitely did not see this movie in theaters. That's Me for sure. either. I don't think I saw this movie until I started dating you. Well, before we get into the memory stuff, sorry, you're set right. Set the scene. Set the scene. Which brings us to June 1st, the release date of Total Recall, starring. 80s, 90s favorite, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone, Michael Ironside, and directed by peak 80s director, Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> you just, no? What? I thought you would support that. I do. I do. I love Paul Verhoeven. It really is. Movies. For 1990, I mean, I know the movie was made in the 80s, technically. It is such an 80s film. Very much. But, but anyway, like, it's a, it is also a very 90s film. You, you raise your, it's a very 1990 film. Yes. So at the time, Back to the Future Part 3 was number one at the box office. But Total Recall not only took the top spot, but it had the biggest opening weekend of that year at 25.5 million. Could you imagine a film making 25.5 million dollars two years ago and it being the biggest opening of the year? I was going to say this year. And I'm like, no, not this year. This year, maybe. Yeah, this year, that would be a smash hit. Yeah, because I, f- I feel like, didn't Tenet only make like $30 million as its opening? I don't time? even know. I know that Tenet broke the record. This, this is giving away a little inside baseball about when we're recording, because we're still recording ahead, that Tenet just set the record for lowest box office number one of all time for the weekend, which was like, I think it was three million or something. Two or three million. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, it was only number one for one week when it was beaten by Dick Tracy. But Dick Tracy did not beat the record that Total Recall made in its opening weekend. So good job, Total Recall. The top movies of 1990, or at least were released that year, were Home Alone with $285.7 million. A favorite of yours favorite of mine oh god we're gonna watch it this year and i'm gonna cry anyway calm uh, you down calm down ghost was number two ghost is a film i would love to cover on this podcast have you ever seen ghost i have but it was it's weird because i remember we're not gonna get into it have you seen it yes or no i've seen it done and number three was dances with wolves total recall was number seven and another arnie movie Kindergarten Cop was number 10. Good year for Arnie. Every year is a good year for Arnie. It's I mean, true. let's be real. Except what was the year that he got the divorce from his wife? That's probably wasn't. Oh, that was a bad year. That probably wasn't the best year. No. He seems not. to be on the upswing now. He's got Chris Pratt as like a son-in-law, which I mean, I don't know if I'd consider that a good thing. Chris Pratt, his star has lost some of its luster over the last few years. Yeah. He's one of those people where it's like, don't meet your heroes because he might be funny, but I hear he's dick. Anyway. Anyway, onto our memories of the film. As I was alluding to before, uh, this is not a movie that I saw in theaters. 
I might have seen it because I remember where I saw it. I just don't remember when that was. It was in one of my parents' friends' basements. Like they had back in in the early nineties, my parents said we would go to friends' houses, like their friends' houses, and I would hang out with their kids, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the older brothers, like the oldest brother, he was, oh, I want to see this movie, and they had they rented it. So I'm in the basement. I'm like six or seven years old, and this movie comes on. This movie blew my brains out. Yeah, I would imagine so. You, I think, were the first person to show me this movie. I think I part of me feels like I might have watched it with an ex-boyfriend years ago, but I feel like no, that might have been Commando. I think um, I showed you Commando as well. I don't know. It's hard to remember. I'm very old. Not that old. <gasps> anyway, you know what I remember most about this movie? What's the? Is it the three boobs? No. Oh. The eyeballs bulging out of faces. Ah, yes. That was a fun thing to see as like a six or seven year old. Yeah. I remember watching that the first time and it kind of being like, that is the main thing I remembered about this movie. And then the next main thing I remembered about this movie is how much I hated the remake of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. The remake I remember wasn't as good. The thing, it's so funny because you made a whole bunch of comments after we watched the movie about the remake. And I'm like, I don't remember any of that. Do you know what I remember about the remake? What I remember is that they filmed it in Toronto and I stumbled onto the set drunk. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And a security guard had to kick me off. Yeah. I don't know if that was it a security guard or just some sort of like PA being. I don't remember. Could you please just get out of here? Somebody grabbed me and they escorted me off the set. Probably a PA. Yeah. Other than that, I don't remember too much about the movie. We, I, I actually looked up IMDb to see some of the cast and stuff. And I'm like, I didn't remember this person was in it. I didn't remember this. I didn't remember Brian Cranston was in it. Like, I remember that it was Colin Farrell. Yep. But I didn't remember any of the other actors. No, I don't. I still don't. No, well, wait, Ka- Kate Beckinsale, I remember. Yeah, Kate Beckinsale is in it. But I didn't remember that also her husband, who was also the Underworld director, Len Wiseman, was the director of that oh. movie. And Brian Cranston is Cohagen, and Jessica Biel plays Marina. Or Marina, whatever. yeah. No, either way, let's not talk anymore about that movie because it's garbage. Right. Let's talk about the movie that we actually did like, which yeah. was this film. Yeah, speaking of boobies, not the three boobies, I didn't remember. Maybe it's because we, we were watching it in such HD now. I don't remember, but I didn't realize you saw Sharon Stone's boobies. A little. It's like side boob. You see full nipple. Yeah, but like, and this is actually something that's, it's, if you watch this movie with commentary on, Paul Verhoeven is like, yeah, Sharon Stone, I, I wanted her to go topless and she wouldn't do it. She thought it would be better for her character if she wasn't. But I got her back though, because he directed Basic Instinct. Oh, uh, did he really? He did, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, Paul Verhoeven's done a lot of uh, big movies, so yeah, yeah. I just always think of him as just RoboCop. No, he he did he did Showgirls. Oh yeah, and he did Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah, and Starship Troopers. Remember, I forgot he did Showgirls. Oof, now that's a movie. That yeah, that's a movie. It's burnt popcorn. What's your review? Burnt Uh, popcorn. We're done. Let's go. Anyway, so yeah, no, I remember. I remember. I don't remember seeing it as much like that you bring it up. It wasn't until a rewatch a few years later that I was like, whoa, whoa, there's more than just the three boobs in this movie. There's there's this little, this teeny flash of, of Sharon Stone booby. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of, and then speaking of the three boob woman, the effects on that were actually really good. Yeah. There was a point though, which I, I don't, only caught this time was Benny. Benny's grabbing the three boob and it sort of like wrinkles up because it's like this weird rubber bit. Yeah. But it's not the the main part of the shot. So it was kind of like just I, I barely caught it. But but yeah, otherwise they looked good. They yeah, look- I was, um, you know, for an effect like that, I would say the makeup artists and like prop people and everything, they did a fantastic job on her extra boob. Yeah, the makeup, the guy in charge of makeup for this movie was Rob Bottin. And Rob Bottin has done some awesome stuff. He did RoboCop. Uh, well, that makes sense. But he's done a lot of other big movies as well, which I'm blanking on at the moment. Let me pull this up because I know he's done not just movies that you've heard of, but movies you would love, right? He did The Thing. He did The Thing. He did The Thing. And I knew that. I, I, I don't know why I didn't remember that. He did RoboCop, RoboCop 2, 
Total Recall. He I, he did RoboCop three actually. Wow. I, he might, I don't know if he's just credited because he came up with the original design of oh, RoboCop maybe. or not. Legend. So he he's responsible wow. for Tim Curry's ridiculous big red big red suit. Mimic. Witches of Eastwick. Seven. The nineteen seventies King Kong. He did he did makeup effects for Basic Instinct and Mission Impossible. Wow. Yeah, he's done a lot of big movies. That's so. kind of crazy. Well, like I said, like the effects in the movie and cuz like the the mutants in the movie and the effects on their faces and the effects on like their limbs and obviously like Kwatu, like all those effects are really really well done. They all like look pretty up to snuff for the most part for when it comes to the makeup visual effects, which I mean, no surprise. This movie actually won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. It shows. There's some really good practical stuff. Mm -hmm. The only stuff that throughout the entire movie that I was like, hmm. And there was only like two things. One, when they would do like real close up of Quato. Yeah. That's, well, that's fair. Yeah. Especially so, on like DVD quality versus old VHS quality. Yeah. So really zoomed in Quato was, was the one thing. And the only other thing that really was like, mm, which... I mean, big deal. Who cares? But there's when he's on Mars, there are two mutants there that mm -hmm. it's a mother and daughter. They made me sad. And they have kind of like these weird eyes. Well, there's a scene where the daughter looks up at the mom and the mom looks down at the daughter and both of their weird eyes don't look. Yeah. Well, and, well I mean, obviously it's a makeup effect, but that was the only of the two things that I looked at. And I'm like, uh, you know, because there's stuff where... It's funny because I didn't plan on going on like a huge rant about the effects here or mm -hmm. anything, but the stuff where where Schwarzenegger is the is the fat lady, yeah, and, that's hilarious. And he takes the head off that effect where it's even it's very obviously a fake Arnold is still really good. Like you can look at it and go, oh, I see that's an effect that's not really Arnold, but it's a really good likeness of Arnold, like. When he's pulling the thing out of his nose, the tracking oh, thing, that's oh. also a fake Arnold, but it's so well done, it looks like real Arnold. Like, do you know do you know what I wrote down when we saw that scene? <laughs> no. It was like my COVID test. Yes, yes, because we had to be COVID tests. Oh god, and by the time this comes out, watch this have having had do it again. I hope not. Oh, eh. That was awful. <laughs> anyway, one thing I didn't remember about this movie, despite knowing, despite knowing it, I still don't remember just how gratuitous the violence is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. Yeah. No, it definitely. is very much, I would say it takes Robocop and turns it up to 11 in terms of the, the blood and the violence and the shooting. I actually wrote down that this is a, a perfect companion piece to RoboCop. Oh yeah? Because like the way that the effects are in both movies, like when someone gets shot, they get shot. Yeah. Like it's it's very obvious. You know, it's all about the squibs and, and like people taking damage. Yeah. You know, and and that's why I, I I feel like this is a very good companion to Robocop. They're very similar in the way that they're they're structured with like even the commentary on the way that the planet is actually is also the kind of stuff that he was doing in RoboCop with the satire. And like, this is one of the first things I wrote down. And this is something that they would show in like RoboCop as well is he's watching the news over breakfast. Yep. And there are people getting shot to shit like throughout the news. Like they are showing yeah. people getting shot. The one of the guys runs in front of the the camera, like one of the soldiers, and he's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Like this is all on just the news, and know? not just that, but they're like, "They, you know, subdued the protesters with minimal force." And it's by right Yeah, everyone's yeah, yeah. dead. You could have taken that entire sequence and put it in a RoboCop, and it wouldn't have been at all different. You know, like yeah, yeah, I could see that. You know what? One of the other things near the beginning of the movie, before we start getting further into the movie, I just wanted to point out is the Simpsons reference. Well, it doesn't reference The Simpsons, but The Simpsons references it, mm -hmm. is uh, the scene where he's going through the x-ray. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Homer has to go through that x-ray at work and like, you know, blah, blah, two kids in a trench coat, blah, blah. And like, yeah, it, I love The Simpsons references that they used to do. They were so smart and clever and they don't do them like that anymore. Anyway, it was one of those things that one, I forgot that that was in the movie. 
and that it was a, a Simpsons reference, but seeing it made me smile. Yeah. I, I've always enjoyed that scene. And that scene, it's CG. It, it's You can of, tell. Yeah. But it's one of the first real uses of CG in, in a film. Really? Yeah. Like to be used as like a practical effect kind of a thing. Interesting. Yeah. And one of the things I actually wanted to say about the future, like the, the movie takes place in like 2084. Yeah. And the whole thing with it is like apparently Paul Verhoeven, the way he talked about it was he didn't want Blade Runner. Like Blade Runner is highly futuristic, mm -hmm. like robots, hover cars, stuff like that. And it takes place last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was like, I want it to be close to now technology wise, but I want it to be like way out in the future because I don't want it to be super wrong. And for the most part, I wrote outside of a few things, their future is very like realistic, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of stuff that we either have now or we're one step away from that. Yeah. Like all of the phone calls are done on video, right? Yep. But now we have the option to do phone calls on video and especially now in quarantine times, oh, we're my doing goodness, that, right? that more often, but- I would still say that a fair amount of calls are still done, you know, the old fashioned way kind of a thing. So we're not people quite. Call? People, people, people call. use their phones. People to use their phone. Call. People? I have to do it for work a lot. Ugh. Anyway, there are still people who use a phone as a phone kind of a thing. But in this, everybody has every phone is a video phone. Yeah. So we're not there yet, but we're on our way kind of a thing. Blech. My nightmare. <laughs> Get a phone call and it's just that like ch up, like upshot of my the bottom of my chin and me being, huh? Yeah. Ugh, that's the worst. Like when he goes on the subway and there's TV ads on the subway, like that's that's available now. Like yeah. you're on the subway, there's still the old fashioned billboards, but a lot of stuff on the subways now is video. Yeah. And the televisions all being portrait style versus landscape style yep. which is also very like that's kind of happening now like we're so used to taking vertical video on our phone yep. as ugly as it is and then the hiding the tv in like the other imagery of like outside making it look like the tv isn't really a tv when you're not watching tv yeah speaking of things in the future though that i see one thing that i always i'm like why in the future do we just call money credits yeah <laughs> That that always is like that's I don't think that's ever going to happen. No, I feel like they'll just keep unless we have a universal it currency. It's just going to be dollars, pounds, yen, rubles. I don't know. You know what? It's funny because this is a note that I also wrote down, and it comes to credits. I liked when he had his Mars money, and it was just regular money but red. Yeah, that <laughs> was just a fun little touch that was in the movie. Which is but funny because like most countries do have red like the bread bills are not uncommon right canada has a red bill it's true but i mean like when the, in the states right it's all their it's money, all green and green it's confusing because yeah. you never know what money you're using yeah but in this case he had this big stack of red bills but they looked like just american dollars but but red so i thought that was funny mars money is red earth money is green <laughs> like yeah that's fair venus money is blue saturn Saturn money has a ring around it. I don't know. That would be amazing. <laughs> now, getting kind of into some of the other stuff that I really, I just stood out to me is like one scene kind of, I, sometimes I have these moments. I've worked, I've worked in film darling. Mm -hmm. No, I've done some background work in film because a lot of stuff films here. And at, at the time I was kind of doing like freelance work. So it was a good way to make a little extra cash on some days that like, you know, I had a day open. So it's like, sure, I'll go be in the background in this movie. And it was fun. Right. So anyway, I've been in movies. And every once in a while, I'll see something on screen that makes me go, that must have been an interesting day for the actor. Do you think they got self-conscious? Do you think it was weird? Do you think it took them some time to get mentally into the headspace to be able to do that in front of, and in this scene, quite a large group of people because there's a lot of extras, the woman in yellow that we discussed. Right. Right from the get-go, you know it's Arnold or Douglas. Quaid. 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 You know it's him. Yeah. 
because this is a large woman. And I'm not talking like rotund. I'm saying this is an imposingly large woman. Yeah, like tall and wide. And I believe the correct terminology is built like a brick shithouse. Right. <laughs> She's very busy. You know it's Arnold in disguise because you know he's got to sneak onto Mars. He's also holding the suitcase. Yeah. Like it, it, there's no like a you know a viewer there's no like oh, is it really Arnold it, it's Arnold there's no so, something that I didn't actually notice until this viewing is when he's going through the suitcase and pulling things out the dress is in it oh yeah I never noticed that before but the dress is like hanging out of the suitcase oh interesting but when when it becomes because it's like and how long are you gonna be there and the woman quote unquote two weeks yeah and uh, then he asks something else and she goes two weeks. And then I was like, uh oh. And then, like, she's like pulling at her mouth and she's like, blah, 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 and like going crazy and like she's freaking out and like doing all this weird stuff. And I'm like, as an actress, as a, a studier of the craft, do you think for her that this day, it's like, okay, now, don't know her name, her real name. I should have looked it up. Mm-hmm. In this scene, we just want you to go balls to the wall on this. And if she like did it a couple times and then director Paul Verhoeven was like, no, no, no. Turn that dial up to 11. And she's just like, <laughs> do you, I, I just, sometimes I put myself in that headspace of like, how hard must that have been? I don't know. Like, I mean, I feel like from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of behind the scenes documentaries on, on some of the Paul Verhoeven stuff. Like I've watched a ton of stuff about RoboCop and I yeah. feel like just cause he, he's Dutch and so he's not originally from the States and he doesn't know, especially when he was recording Robocop, he didn't know a lot of like cultural differences. Mm. So like, like there's a scene in Robocop where there are two hookers with somebody and then Red Foreman comes in and tells them to get out. But he's like, bitches leave is what he says. Well, Paul Verhoeven, not knowing culturally, well, whatever, whatever. Well, they're doing the set, like they're they're on the set recording the thing. They're they're blocking the scene, and Paul Verhoeven is all like, "Okay, bitches, you're gonna come in. Mm. Bitches, you're gonna be over here. You're gonna come over here, and you're gonna do this. Uh, bitches, you stay over there. You'd be scared. Bitches, bitches, do this. And and, and be- somebody <laughs> had to like, pull him aside later and be like, "Don't just keep calling them bitches." <laughs> so. Yeah, so he, you know, I, I feel like his set would be, you, you wouldn't feel bad doing crazy stuff because Paul Verhoeven is doing all the crazy stuff too. Okay, like, that I get behind. Okay, like, I can there dig is, it. There's literally shots of him, I, I think on Starship Troopers, running around going like, rah, rah, like he's the alien that's going to be popped in there later and stuff. Oh, amazing. So yeah, I feel like if you're on a Paul Verhoeven set, you're not, you're not going to feel too weird because you're prepped he's doing for all it. Stuff. Yeah. But I also like that the whole thing that gives away Arnold in this scene is the robot can only say two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. And then he takes the head off and throws it to a guy and it, the head says, get ready for a surprise. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, did only two phrases get programmed into his head? <laughs> two weeks and get ready, get ready for, for a surprise. surprise. <laughs> I'm just like, what? But also, it also had a whole bunch of programmed yeah yeah that's that's all in there too and but like they couldn't have been like business pleasure have a good day yeah i'm from earth you know none of that just no two weeks get ready for a surprise (laughs) to be fair i love the get ready for a surprise scene just the fact that the head still goes and then boom i just that that bit is just great i love that bit the thing i actually thought that you were going to say when it came to like, what an interesting day to be on set. I thought you were going to say the day where Arnold is running up and down the escalator and that everyone around him is getting shot. Like all yeah. the actors are just getting blown away. I can imagine. And I, I feel bad for that poor guy with the squibs. Like that guy gets shot like a hundred times while Arnold is like Do those things carrying. hurt, do you think? Is uh, they pop? Do you think they kind of make like almost like a... I assume there's some sort of feeling I've seen, which hilariously going back to another Paul Verhoeven movie, the scene from RoboCop where Mr. Kenny gets killed by Ed 209. Mm -hmm. And that scene had like the record for most squibs used in a scene ever at the time they filmed that. And the guy who played Mr. Kenny made a comment about how one of the squibs went off on his nuts. And he was like, that was the worst day. 
I hated it so much. So I assume, I assume there's a bit of a like a slap or a hit to it because he's yeah. That's how I, like a little bit of like a like a kickback. Yeah. So. Ooh, no, yeah, thank you. Not a good day. And then and then Arnold hucks you down the flight of people. You know, <laughs> so yeah, all of those extras, right? Getting some bloody dude thrown down that them. You know, but yeah, yeah. So there. Yeah, the movie is quite violent all the way through. Okay, well, for but I, I'm going to assume we we kind of assume that anybody listening to this episode, every episode of the show, has seen the movie at least in like their lifetime. Yeah, because none of these again, like the whole point is none of these movies are like stinkers and duds. These are movies that were popular that a lot of people have seen and a lot of people have liked. You're right. Yeah. So just real quick, for some reason, if you haven't seen this movie. Quaid is a regular guy who works at a construction site. He goes, because it's the future, he goes to a place where they're going to fix his memories so that he goes to Mars. Like, he's going on a fake Mars vacation. And it turns out that he's, like, actually been to Mars and he's a secret agent and his memories have all been changed. So he goes back and forth to Mars. Or does he? You know, like, that's, you know, there's the whole question mark of the movie. And I think it's really well done. But anyway. That's the scene set for you. If for some reason you had no idea what was going on, there's the skeleton for you. And that's the thing. The other thing being that it is a late 80s, very, very, very early 90s movie from Paul Verhoeven. So you've got the great 80s fashion. That is what they think fashion would be in the future, which is always a delight. And just the set design is... This is one of the most expensive movies made at the time. And all the sets do look like they're made out of cardboard and foam. (laughs) I was going to say metal siding. No, it it looks very flimsy, like beyond like metal siding. This is all like cardboard painted to look like metal siding. It's just very light. The one thing I like about future movies, like sci-fi movies from this time period, is they were like, the later it is in the future, the more angular the car is going to be. You know, like yeah, yeah. They had some very angular vehicles. Very and pointy. Like poor Johnny Cab, <laughs> who's Robert Picardo. Which yeah, which realize. is hilarious. Yeah, and then so I want to talk about Sharon Stone a little. Okay, because like speaking of being like the eighties, mm-hmm. Sharon Stone, like this was this was right before she really got big, right? Because then she did Basic Instinct, and she was huge. Yeah, I think so. So Sharon Stone in this is lovely. I think she does a great job with like, honestly, like, cause I don't know, maybe cause she's had such a, like a, a downturn in her career. She is in the new ratchet show from uh, Ryan Murphy in the show itself. Not great, but uh, it's been okay. I've watched it. Yeah, she's very good in it. So she, she very much in that show reminds me a lot of Jessica Lang in the American horror story, but the show is basically another season of American horror story anyway. So it doesn't really matter anyway, but Sharon Stone back in the day, like, I feel like, again, now, because, like, her career has had this downturn that people don't remember that she is pretty entertaining on screen. Like, mm-hmm. she she definitely, like, you think about it. Arnold at the time was, like, what, the biggest star going? Yeah. Like, who's bigger than Arnold in 1990? No one. Maybe Tom Cruise. Maybe. But, like, Arnold was the 80s. Like, that's when you think of an 80s star, you first saw Arnold. So, she holds her own against him in every scene with him. Like, she does a great job. And she always has this, like, there's something about the way, and because, like, now that I've seen the movie a couple times, I know going in that she's not really his wife, that she's, you know, a government plant, not government, like, corporate plant, and, like, she's playing this role and everything. Acting like a bad actor is really hard. It's not easy to do to walk this line. So there's always this almost little bit of malice to her character before you even find out that she's not really who she says she is. Mm-hmm. And it's just done in such a lightly peppered way. I think it's really, really well done. And right from the get-go, you're just like, why do you hate Mars? Why does this lady hate Mars? But why does anybody want to go to Mars? It seems like it's a shithole. It's true. Like maybe we only see one part of Mars, which is what we would consider the slums of Mars. I mean, really. So maybe there's a parts of Mars that are quite lovely. I mean, he did go to like the Hilton on Mars that was supposed to be full of other rich people. And True. I mean, he doesn't spend a lot of time there, so it's hard to 
say and it also looks like you know metal siding and and but that's saying like you think about any any place right like any any popular tourist destination like it doesn't matter we went to chicago and chicago it has areas where socioeconomically are more oppressed and you know it's still got lots of tourist stuff to do so uh, my first thought watching it was oh why would anybody go here then remember oh we've been places where like yeah if you go down certain areas, the neighborhood isn't good for a multitude of reasons that are beyond what we're going to get into here. So Mars probably has lots of touristy stuff to do. It's not like they're going to, you know, the colony of New Hope or whatever. New Haven? Okay, yeah. Hadley's Hope. Hadley's Hope. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, I got there. I was like, what are you talking about? I should have known what you were talking about, considering it's one of my favorite movies, but I digress. But yeah, so like she hates Mars. And even after you find out like what's going on, it's not like she's pretending to hate Mars because she doesn't want him to go to Mars. She's full on just like, I hate Mars. It's like, what does she have against Mars? She's racist against Martians or something. I don't know. She just doesn't like Mars. It's, I mean, it's a, it doesn't seem like a great place to be. Again, we only see part of Mars. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem like a great place to be. Plus, I mean, there's this, I was going to say this corporate guy who's made everything really bad, but that's also the case now and here. So I mean, really what? I don't have a leg to stand on. Right. Anyway, still, I found her very entertaining in this movie. And she does like a really great job. Like, and, and this is actually is part of the reason that Paul Verhoeven cast her as the lead in Basic Instinct is because of her performance in this movie. Because she goes from being, you know, very likable to heinous bitch very easily. Like like she in the same scene, she can go back and forth kind of a thing. Yeah. She like and I feel like and you're right, because she she can do that really, really well. Like I just I don't know, I just really liked her in it. The one thing that's really cool is she has such great fight choreography. Mm-hmm. Like she does, when she fights Arnold, she fights Arnold and she holds her own against Arnold. And then later on, when she has to fight with Marlena, they have a knockdown drag out martial arts fight. Like yeah. they don't, it's not a cat fight, you know? They don't just roll around on the floor and pull each other's hair oh, until Arnold hair. pulls them apart. Yeah, no, she's an absolute badass in the film and she does a great job. One of the highlights, I would say. Yeah, no, she's fantastic. And like, even like, and I'm, I'm right. Like, this is like her first real big part, I would say, in a big name movie. Like, she's been in, like, she's in Police Academy 4 before this and like some TV stuff. Like, but other than that, like, and then next thing you know, like, she's in Basic Instinct, right? Which is, which is huge. And then next thing you know, she's hosting Saturday Night Live. Like, that, it launched her career of this movie. And like, for good reason. She does a great job. Like, and But that said, Arnold is very Arnold in this movie. Yeah. But he's, there is a humor to this movie, too, which Arnold is very funny. Because like when you think of 80s and Arnold, the first thing you think is like action, like Commando. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to remember, he's, he's a pretty funny guy. And the one-liners are all great. Oh, and they're just, delivered beautifully. Yeah. Zing, zing, zing. Yeah, yeah. Like the consider that a voice, you know, like that bit is fantastic. Yeah. Or like, oh, there's so many. There's so many good ones. See you at the party, Richter. Like, yeah. Just amazing. Your impression is terrible. I know. <laughs> uh, you want to know one thing that would really kind of, because so, okay. Because uh, Hank, you pointed out to me, because I don't remember Hank from Breaking Bad. This is one of his first roles, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's one of his first roles, but it's one that I I know him from. There was a lot of people in this movie that I recognize from other things. Like, yeah. smaller roles in this movie. But the diner that he meets him at with, like, and then you meet, like, Thumbelina and the sex workers and Merlina and the whole thing, right? Like, that's where you meet them all. Did that place not remind you of a diner in a Zeller's in the 90s? (laughs) Yes. I love that you're like, yep. yep." 100%. With the way, like, even with the way the chairs were and everything. Yeah. 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 No, it, uh, yeah, this is like one of his first, first things he, like, he's got a few roles before this, but again, it's all small backgroundy type stuff. He's in Terminator 2 as well. Uh He's a police officer in Terminator 2. Yep. Yeah. SWAT team leader doesn't even yeah. have a name. So anyway, yeah, no, that was one of the, I was watching. I'm like, why does this, why does this place look so familiar? Oh, it's like a diner in a Zellers. It just needed a Zeddy they wheel. Had, they had those, 
real good fries though. And they had like back when I ate meat, they had the real good chicken tendies. It was all just fried crap. Well, yeah, obviously. Also, speaking of Thumbelina, she rips shit up. Good for her. That scene Get where it, she girl. like nice that dude. Yeah. <laughs> she kicked ass. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, that was a good that was an entertaining entertaining scene. And then Speaking of things looking like other things. So then after they have this fight and like Kohagen is like turning off all the air for these people, like they're super at the mercy of this corporate overlord, just like real life. Yep. You know, so Quaid and the girl there and like Benny, they're they're running through the mines. Yeah, they were mines. Yeah. You know, it looked like it looked like a dungeon in Skyrim with the dragger because you got all the like crypts dug into the sides of the wall and everything yeah that was pretty fun you know what it reminded me of and i, I almost mentioned it during the movie but i just figured you roll your eyes is uh doom yeah i hate behind that doom, especially doom three like eh, the way that it looks like the it looks like the uac building in doom three like the way that the the buildings are all sticking out of the the ruin or the not the ruins but the rocks and stuff it was very doom three but. Yeah, I can get behind that. Um, speaking of things looking like other things, Quatu, kind of, kind of a little basket casey. If you if you remember basket case, which I know was also basket then, case, yeah, and then also done in a later episode, well, an early episode of the X Files called Humbug. There, that was uh, the parasitic twin was also uh, a killer in that. I recall. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something that's definitely been done before and done since. But I feel like they did a good job with it. But uh, Quatu, um. Did, did the person who made Quatu also possibly work on Child's Play? Because Quatu kind of looks like a Chucky doll. He does have kind of a Chucky face. Yeah. 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 I just, I get the feeling that he kind of looks a little like Chucky. Very similar mold. Maybe. Maybe Rob Botin was having an off day and he just was like, what's lying around here? Hand me that Chucky thing. Because I don't think he worked on Child's Play, but. I don't know. Did he? He was Child's Play was not in the list of movies that I was talking about earlier. So, well, anyway, yeah, it was just it was one of those things where I was just like, oh, interesting. But again, very eighties look, I guess. Oh, you know, it broke my heart because I totally forgot watching the new one or not the new one, but like watching it again, and I haven't seen it in a while. I was very upset that Benny betrayed them. He oh, not yeah, only yeah. betrayed them, but he betrayed his people. Well, you know, money does strange things to people, right? Yeah, I just oh, it broke my heart. I don't know. And especially his effect with his arm, though, that was really cool. Yeah. Like he had quite the mutation. Really, really cool. Really well done. One thing that I wrote down and it was actually kind of like, what, what, why would, why would these be that bad? But then they actually kind of explain it in the movie is all of the glass in Mars is not bulletproof. It does not take much to shatter the no. any glass and then bring in the vacuum of space. Like all I could think seeing that it was like it, this is not a planet with an atmosphere, like a thick atmosphere like our planet. Mm-hmm. This is not a planet that holds up well to meteorites. So what what do they do when a meteorite hits that glass? I guess but, the they just seal up because they had all those seal bits too, like where it would because that happens at the beginning when the airport where the glass breaks the airport it's but you'd up. think like if a bullet could easily shatter the glass like don't fire a gun you'll shatter the glass it's just like you'd think that falling rocks from the sky which are quite a problem on mars they would go with thicker glass you one would, would think. think that bulletproof glass would be a good starting point right and I thought the same thing myself, which is why I wrote this down. But then later in the movie, one of the people makes the comment that Cohagen made very cheap domes. True. So I was like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Is he cut corners to, to save himself some money? That's so why everybody's got mutations. Yeah. Because yeah. of UV rays. Yeah. And so the bad glass is also not bulletproof. So that explained that bit away. Can we talk about Michael Ironside for a minute? Yes, we can. I would so, I would be happy to talk about Michael Ironside. I love so, Michael Ironside. I don't know if you if this is something you've noticed about Mr. S- Mr. Ironside or you know, he's like perpetually to me always is like an 
older man, but also in this, he's much younger than I normally see him, but he still looks old. And I just, he's got this young old thing that has been going on for like 50 years and it kind of blows my mind. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that he like has thinning hair. Yeah. I feel like, I'm trying to remember what year Scanners was because he's in Scanners and he's like in his 20s and he still has like thin hair and he looks like he's... At least I think he's in his twenties. I don't know. He's he's fairly old now. Like he's in his sixties at some. He's got to be because in this movie he's got to be at least he. Well, to me he looks at least forty five, but he could be twenty five. I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like he really went out in a rough way. Oh God! Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, the arms in the elevator. That's like a nightmare right there. It was so funny too because there was a couple scenes in the movie because I've seen this movie a few times, so I knew when certain things were going to happen, and. At one point, something happens, and you were like, oh, no, and winced. And I'm like, oh, you don't remember what's still to come. Yeah. So, so when Richter gets his arms torn off, that was one bit that I was like, oh, I can't wait for, for you to see that. And then also, when the dude gets the pipe put through his head oh! in the memory eraser room. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good bit. Yeah. And then one one last thing. To bring this around full circle... I always kind of wondered. So the movie opens with Marina, Melina. Yeah. And Quaid being outside the domes. And then full circle wraps around to them being outside the domes. And you've got, yeah, Melina, they're doing the whole, like their eyes are bulging out, their tongues are swelling and their throats are exploding. And they're like, like that whole thing. Yes. And then everything's fixed. You know, it's fine. And then their faces are normal. And one, do you think their faces would just go back to normal? Or do you think permanent damage has been done? Because I really feel like permanent <laughs> damage has been done. Yeah, no, I mean, I seem to remember hearing some science that that's not what would happen to you anyway. Yeah, I don't think that's what happened. I think yeah. you would just die. Yeah. So in this case. And possibly freeze. Yeah, because I feel like if your eyes popped out of your uh, your eye sockets, You'd have to stick them back in yourself. People can do that. There's people who can do oh, that. Oh, I'm well weird. aware. I've they saw were on like those, Maury Povich. I saw that stuff, Maury Povich, and there was like Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show Blech. with the eye popping people. But yeah, I feel like you would have to stick your own eyes back in. There'd Whoa. be some some there'd be some lasting effects from that kind of damage. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Yeah. So I don't know. That was kind of my like takeaway from this movie is generally to do with the eyeballs. Okay. If you couldn't tell. I, I guess so. What I want to throw your way before we end this up and, and we go into the wrapping things up and our reviews and everything. What do you think? Is it real or is it a dream? See, I feel like in the remake, they make it more ambiguous. Or maybe I've got. But at the end of this, I feel like. It's real. I feel like it is the real thing. And when I look at it, because this is originally based off a short story by Philip K. Dick. Yes. And in the short story, it turns out it's all real as well. And then he gets another memory implanted, like in a hopes of like being able to like, because his goal is to be like a normal, he wants to be a normal person. And uh, after a life of being like an assassin and they're like, okay, well, we owe it to you to like, let you have this peaceful life. So they give him what he wants. And then it turns out what he wants has also already happened for real. So anyway, no, I've always been under the impression that it, it is real. Like the reason why he wanted to do like the secret agent stuff and da da da, it was possibly part of the implant that they put into him in the first place to do the triple agent double cross find Quatu plan. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, we're gonna put it in your memory that you want to go to Mars. And you dream of being a secret agent. And that way we'll get you here faster. You? I think it's real. And the scenes that make me think it's real happen really early in the movie. Oh, yeah? And he mentions that he wants to go to Mars. And then he goes to work after his wife is like, hey, maybe we don't go to Mars. And as he leaves, she kind of gives him this look. Which you could take that as like, I can't believe he's talking about Mars again. But you could also be taken about like, no, we're not like 
he, he's starting to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. But the one that really sells it is when he talks to his buddy at the construction site. And after he talks about going to recall and his buddy's like, don't do it. His buddy keeps looking back at him like, oh, no. Yeah. You know? I, I honestly, mine goes right back to, again, Sharon Stone. Like her attitude about everything is a little too much mm-hmm. but like it's not like she's overacting or something it's like it's not this is a deliberate choice like for the movie right like she she doesn't want to be and then like i also put out the the doctor guy who's in charge of recall like when he shows up and he's just he's just a little too aggressive and stuff like it's all that stuff makes me think it's real there's some really good foreshadowing things that could actually put it into dream territory if you really want to look at it. Some perfect examples. Basically, the package that he buys from Recall is what happens. And I mean, they they touch on that. They're like, that's the package he bought. And they're like, yeah, but we haven't installed that yet. Yeah. So there's that. When the guy is given the package that he's uploading, he remarks, oh, blue skies on Mars. That's new. Mm-hmm. So there's there's the ending. Right there. Later on in the movie, when the doctor shows up, the guy who's in the commercial, and that guy starts on his little speech about like what what's going to happen if you keep at this fantasy, what he says in that scene happens. Mm-hmm. Like everything he says, he says, yeah. you're going to be the hero of the resistance, and then you're going to be Kohagen's best buddy, and then you're going to run around with alien stuff. And mm-hmm. all of that stuff happens. Like even even the part where he's like, you're going to be Copagan's buddy when he's face to face with Cohagen, Cohagen's like, we're buddies, we're friends, you know, like even that stuff comes true. So like multiple times throughout the movie, they tell you the rest of the movie and it comes true. So that's that's pretty good evidence that it could be all the dream. On top of that, when it fades at the end of the movie, it fades to white, not to black, which is not very common right like that Mm -hmm. could be seen as he's waking up kind of a thing yeah and going back to the scene with the doctor if you look at it if it is a dream then that doctor is the program trying to help him and then it failing if it's reality then the company flew the guy who works at recall who created recall from the recall commercials they flew him to mars said look you have to convince this guy or I don't know, we'll kill you or whatever. Yeah. And then that guy has to go in and try to convince him and then gets shot for his troubles. Well, he gets too aggressive. I That's his own fault. But when Schwarzenegger figures it out, like that guy is just the doctor. He just blows that dude away. <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know. He seems sketchy. True. He's but again, like sketchy. I feel like they implanted him from the get-go like the before the movie starts the implant that he went into this memory wipe was you're going to want these things Mm -hmm. and so when they're offered up to him on a silver platter he's like yes 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 because in his subconscious they've implanted these are your desires and actually the interesting thing too is i didn't ever notice this until this most recent watch as well and that's the thing i really like i've noticed this with especially with paul verhoeven movies lately is i've gone back and i've watched robocop and starship troopers recently and there's a lot of stuff that i never caught on earlier watches that is really good foreshadowing or or something like that and in the scene where michael ironside when richter is talking to cohagen cohagen basically tells him you don't know what's going on you're going to wreck this. Stop and do what I say. Mm-hmm. And then later on, it's revealed that, yeah, Richter didn't know what was going on. And there was this whole plan going on. So, like, that's something I've never noticed before was that, like, oh, no, Cohagen is basically saying, like, there's already a plan happening here and you're screwing it up. And, like, but he kind of has to not know as well because it's like, well, why didn't he tell him? But, like, they go through these areas where there's, like, there's psychics on Mars. If he knew, the psychics could be like, wait, no, there's a plot, but because obviously Arnold's character no longer knew, you know, blah, 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 it worked because the psychics wouldn't been able to tell he was a, a liar, liar, liar. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, they, he says that too. I think Coagan says we, it was the only way to yeah. fool the psychics. So. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that stuff was, was all awesome. 
Maybe critics in 1990 had different thoughts on this movie. So, Laura, why don't you fill us in on some past reviews for Total Recall from 1990? Well, actually, critics uh, quite enjoyed it for the most part. It holds an 82% critical approval rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes with a 78% uh, audience score. One of the highest movies we've talked about on here. Um, I found going through old reviews, because uh, Rotten Tomatoes is a bit tricksy. We refer to it on the show just because it's easy. Right. Rotten Tomatoes is a bit tricky in the sense where a movie that is barely a pass for most reviewers can end up looking like a way better movie than a movie that gets glowing praise from half the critics and mixed praise from the other half. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get exactly. So that. it is a little harder to tell, but my personal favorite is because he is a well-known household name reviewer, Roger Ebert, said... Mm-hmm. One of the most complex and visually interesting science fiction movies in a long time. Gave it a, a really good review. And then the more average review I found was things like uh, Mick LaSalle from San Francisco Chronicle saying the film is not a classic, but is still solid and entertaining. And a lot of critics commented on it. It's too violent and too much blood and not enough real substance. Like I said, it did win the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects that year. And it won the Saturn Award for not only 1990, but 1989, because they actually combined those two years. And I couldn't find out why into one year hmm. uh, for the top sci-fi film, which beat out Back to the Future 2 and 3, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Robocop 2, Tremors, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Interesting as well, just as on this point, I want to note, uh, they were going to do a sequel to this movie. Yep. And that essentially became Minority Report. Because mm-hmm. they were going to have Quaid become a cop, like which is another Phil K. Dick story. And eventually they just made that its own movie when they finished the script. And a few years later, it became its own movie with Tom Cruise. They were also going to do a TV show. But as you mentioned previously about Blade Runner, the show ended up being a little too much like Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. So that didn't come out either. And on that note, we talked about a little bit about the remake, which is this is it's interesting because it's the first film we've done that has been remade specifically. Not sequels and stuff, but has actually had a remake. This is true. The remake holds a 31% critical score and a 47% (laughs) audience score. Did pretty mad at the box office and never saw number one. That's that's fair. That movie is a burnt pile of garbage. Well, now that we know how you feel about that movie, how do you feel about this one? What's your review for- I want to hear yours first. Oh, do you need to ask? Yes, that's the whole point. It's double butter all the way. This movie is fantastic. The action is great. The story is fantastic. The one-liners are amazing. One scene that I actually wrote down that we didn't end up getting to, the scene with the holograms is like one of the best scenes in the movie because it's super fun. Like It's funny. Like It's a good action scene. There's some awesome bits to this movie. I really enjoy it. I was happy that when... I suggested we do it that you were super, you're, you're excited to see it because yeah, no, it's a great movie. Any excuse I have to watch this movie, I will take it. Well, I'm going to give it plain popcorn. Oh, really? Okay. It's enjoyable and I would watch it again, but it's not something I would set out to treat myself with. Like it's one of those things where if it's one of those movies where if it was like on like spite network on like a Wednesday afternoon, when you're home from work for some reason, it's like, oh, I'll catch the last half of it. It's pretty fun. <laughs> okay. As much as there's a lot of good stuff about it, there's also a lot of stuff that's kind of meh about okay. it. Because like the storyline is quite interesting, but the idea of the story is really good. And a lot of the acting is really good, but some of the acting isn't. And I don't know. It's just, it's not the best outing for most of the people in it. Okay. And I don't know. I just, it's okay. Okay. That's fair. So, you know, I mean, I can appreciate it for what it is, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't double butter it. Okay. No, I can understand that. I I think that's fair. I still think that I'm more correct than you are, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like there are other movies on this list that we've done already that again, we're allowed to disagree. We're not. Are allowed, we you know, though? I, I refer you to our episode on the craft. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So there you go. There's our our scores. You can 
listen to one of us more than the other, depending on what your thoughts are. But that's going to do it for this episode of Burnt Popcorn. I am Mike. I'm Laura. And next week we will be talking about... 1998's Rush Hour. Okay, okay. For for a second there, I thought you meant Rushmore. No. And I'm... I've never not, seen that movie. I've seen it and I... I, I feel like I might appreciate it more, but at the time, I did not like Rushmore. But Rush Hour, Rush Hour, it's been a long time since I've seen Rush Hour. So yeah, I'm good with that. Nice, fun action comedy. Some Jackie Chan action in there. Yeah, it, it's one of those ones where I just like, man, I haven't watched this movie in a long time, and we haven't done like a straight up, like, I know it's got action in it, but it is comedy. Like, let's be real. It is a comedy movie. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done like a comedy comedy in a while because this movie has some humor. And then we did Friday the 13th. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my turn to pick a, a fun, fun movie. Okay. I'm down with it. So I remember really enjoying it. I feel like everything I know about this movie or that I remember about this movie, everything I remember about this movie is you don't touch a black man's radio. Like that's, that's what I remember. Do you understand movie. the words that are coming out of my mouth? Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's all I remember. It's Didn't the, they make like three sequels too? They did. Well, no. They, yeah, there's three movies. Yeah, not three sequels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, three movies. Too. My mistake. Yeah. But anyway, that's next week. Next week, we'll be talking Rush Hour. We hope you'll join us on that episode. Until then, we'll talk to you guys again soon.